Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta Holy crap, David! What's this video you found for us? Lordy, this guy's nuts. This is this is craziness, D- D- David. All right, let's just get this. Let's get this in context right now, David. Would you fly this? And I'm making finger quotes. <laughs> airplane. All right. Would you? Which one? Which one? Yeah, which one? You know which one I'm talking about. The one where they. Split. Uh, you know, I think if I had time to get checked out properly. Yeah, I could see me doing that. So, sorry folks, it's a video, but it's a video basically of, uh, well, it starts out being this really cool, like two Stearmans are getting ready to go flying, there's wing walkers, the whole thing, all right? And then they show a guy sitting in a hangar next to, like, a wing that's about, what, would you say, 10 feet uh, wingspan, something like that, all right? Yeah. They load it into this uh, this airplane with the with the side door off of it, all right, and it takes off. And then partway through the video, the guy straps himself into this wing. He basically straps it onto his back, all right. Uh, it has two jet engines, apparently, all right, just like basically under his armpits, all right. And he basically falls out of this airplane through the side door and ignites the jets and goes flying. And this forms up with the steerman. This is nuts. This is nuts. All right. <laughs> So you There's think, something David, in the cheese in Switzerland. Yeah, I guess. Uh, David, if you if you uh, fly that before you take off, can I hold your checkbook? Yeah, really. Can we have your cameras? You, you'll uh, have to fight with it. You'll have to fight with the uh, managing director over that. I know, uh, I know. So seriously, but I'd be glad to add a dollar or two. You know, for you as a uh, what's the uh, beneficiary? So uh, in my- that's about as close to pure flight as you can get. This guy's just got this wing strapped to his back, and uh, I, you know, I didn't watch the whole video. Does he ever like put his hands out in front of him like Superman? How, where, I, where I've never I, seen him do that, and he's got his hands back on these controls for the engines and, and the uh, wing itself, because yeah. that's not a weight shift. That's not a pure weight shift uh, uh, control right. uh, aircraft. He should have so, his hands out in front of him and you know, build the controls out in front of him. I know. At least yeah. it would soften some, of, soften some of the impact. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> I was just thinking, you, you, you break your arms before you break your head. Uh, that's why we had to be careful flying prone versus supine. You broke your legs first with supine. But remember who you're asking, Jack. I mean, I, I, never, I, I, I didn't fly anything with an engine until I had a few hundred hours in hang gliders. I suppose. You're, you, you're the, the poster boy for strapping a wing on your back and, uh, and going flying. But this just looks kind of extreme to me. So are those actually <laughs> jet engines? I, I, I think extreme is, 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 is a decent enough uh-huh. uh, description. And you, if you didn't get far enough into it, you'll notice that the guy does not come in and do a full flare or a wheel landing of any kind he pulls a parachute deploys a square rig and and yeah. descends to the ground uh, like a normal crazy person right now i think we've seen this before right we talked about this before on the podcast now that you mentioned he, it he flew the english channel oh, this right. is that we, guy we, we've, oh, seen, we've seen this okay. guy before okay yeah, this is yeah. all right 
I mean, well, he's is, not been he's not been arrested or or committed yet. Yeah, no, actually, this is beginning to look actually a little bit kind of fun. I I could almost <laughs> it looks damn fun. Yeah, and if I can figure out a place to where to put a suitcase. <laughs> although, yeah, right. Although, although any flying experience that absolutely must end with a parachute has got to be suspect on some level. Well, I, well and the, yeah, the air launch characteristics of it are, are a bit of a drawback too. That's I mean, true, yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to use it for cross-country travel, you need to be sure you got a drop plane I someplace. See, I want to see him like strap this thing on his back and like try run on the runway. Run, just run really fast, you know. It's like it'll be like the Flintstones. Yeah, hey, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, that would be the Flintstones, <laughs> except they wouldn't have. And he really would have or, to put his hands. They out wouldn't in front. have like jets. They'd have like two buzzards strapped underneath the wings, right? Or, or Woody, Woody Allen's sleeper. Yeah. Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> see, yeah. 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 So. Um, this is kind of cool, actually. Um, I have to admit, this is kind yeah. Of cool. I mean, I, I, I got a, you know, I, 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 you know, I joke about it, but yeah, I mean, the guy's got some hair. Well, there's and, that too. All right, yeah. that too. And, but but this... he's 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 thought about this. He's 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 obviously he's done this stuff before. We've talked about it before. Uh, definitely got some talent. Definitely has some some skill at designing and building these things. Um, I'd like to know more about these jet engines, actually. Agreed. Oh yeah, the little micro turbos. Is yeah. this the yeah. same jet that they're putting on the uh, that little yellow? Uh, you know the one I'm talking about? The what was no, it? about the uh, Sonex. Sonex, yeah, right. Uh, no, this is no, that was like the size of a of a mini or a pony keg. This is like under his armpit or something. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I like to know a little bit more about these. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So that's cool. What's the guy's name, David? I don't have the thing in front of me. Eve, uh, I think it's E. Rossi. Uh, yeah, yeah. And is the does the aircraft have a name? Uh. Other than Widowmaker, which you know, <laughs> Golf Tango Foxtrot Oscar, yeah, uh, right? Okay, well, congratulations, this guy. It's kind of cool, starting to grow on me. I'm almost a believer. Well, it, it think think about the sailplane to sailplane transfer that we saw on video back a few months ago. Oh, yeah. Memory serves me. That was also flown out of Switzerland. Oh. Uh, then we got the round the world electric airplane flight. Uh, that's out of Switzerland. Uh, in it seemed like there's been a couple of other uh, golf tango foxtrot Oscars uh, come out of Switzerland. I, I, I don't know whether to attribute it to a, a high density of uh, high, high population density of Red Bull drinkers or the, the Swiss cheese. I don't know. Or maybe it's the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 196 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode on uh, Friday evening, July 16th, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, two of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How are you tonight? Oh, not as crazy as I could be. Yeah, well, yeah. If you're thinking about flying this airplane, you're getting close, I'll tell you. It's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, doing, doing good feeling, amazingly calm for being not quite ready to leave in, inside the uh the, the six-day window of uh, departing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, we're, we're starting to reach the point. You're starting to reach the point in the process where we start just shedding tasks. You know, like up to this point, you've got a list, and you think you're going to get the list done, and you get a little panicky because you don't know how you're going to get the list done. But then you reach a point where you just say, well, screw that. That's not going to happen. All right, this is gone. Right, if I don't have it, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, yeah, it's getting close. Uh, we'll talk about Oshkosh a little bit in a few minutes, but... Uh, but more on that later on. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. 
How are we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. How are you? You're you're, I, I, you're deeply into home improvement projects. I know you don't want to go into too much detail. Yeah, this, not, but, not uh, at this time. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but I'm I'm uh, um, yeah very very deeply in the home improvement projects. Now, and, are we uh, able to at least acknowledge the fact that you have a good friend of ours nearby down there? Right. We we are uh, Dave Shalbetter, uh, chairman of Sun and Fun Radio, and and uh, our um, magnanimous and gracious host uh, when we're at Sun and Fun. And, and we're doing our podcast from the uh, the deck, the radio station, uh, is here. He in in real life, uh, Dave is a um, handyman in the um, South uh, East Florida area, and um, uh, is helping me out with some projects mm-hmm. uh, and uh, coming in invaluable. Yeah. So I'm uh, unfortunately we he don't is have... out right now running some errands and. Oh, okay. Some I, I was going to say that we unfortunately don't have the right gear to have him join us on the podcast tonight, but uh, we did want to acknowledge that he's out there helping out and hanging out with you. He twittered, I don't know if you saw it, um, soon after arriving there at Hidden River, he twittered, he says, he says, whoa, just arrived at Hidden River, now I understand why Jack didn't want to leave, uh, or why Jack stayed here for a month, you know, and uh, so he's uh, yet another uh, uh, convert to the Hidden River lifestyle, I guess, and uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. How else? How, how how's everything else going in your world? Are you prepared? Well, for that's Josh yet. No, I'm not the least bit prepared, and, and we're going to wind up uh, uh, projects tomorrow on on some things, and then spend uh, some through uh, Wednesday evening getting prepared, um, and uh, be out of here Thursday morning. Yeah. yeah, cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you today from uh, the Courtyard Marriott in beautiful Winter Park, Florida. Uh, I'm, it, which is somewhere near uh, Orlando, Florida, down here on yet another one of my projects. Where they've got lots of a town where they have lots of parkland and almost no winter. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention this. All right, so it's like I don't know if this is a would only in a land where it gets as hot as it does here would they call the town winter. I don't know what they were thinking. You know, is it like wishful thinking? Do they oh, want it to be cold? Do they? Is this kind of no, like? No, it's thumbing? just it, it was for the snowbirds, man. I mean, Winter Park, Winter Haven. Oh, um, okay. All right, that makes um, sense. You know, they did say get get out of the cold, come down here where it's warm in the winter time. Yeah, uh, is the foundation of manatees, Jimmy Buffett songs, and 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 snowbirds, yeah. Florida's. Industries. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's it's not winter now. I'll tell you, it's it's hot, hot. It's hot and humid. Every time I walk out of the door, I walk out from the air conditioning into the outdoors. All right, and my glasses instantly fog up, and I'm almost in danger of bumping into things. It's like, how you people live like this? I don't understand. It's yeah. When you come out of air conditioning into that kind of humidity, uh, spectacles, goggles. Uh, they 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 can tend to get a, a little bit uh, IFR hood like, yeah right yeah so this is a I this is our last regular episode before we go into an Oshkosh frenzy. Uh, next week's episode will be our uh, Oshkosh preview, the last episode we do before actually go- traveling to uh, to Oshkosh, um, and then we're going to be doing four count them four full episodes uh, while we're on the ground uh, in Oshkosh at AirVenture. So uh, uh, it's going to be a crazy uh, five-episode sequence, and uh, this is the last time we have to talk about uh, non-Oshkosh things, so we're going to do most of that um, uh, on this app, and then uh, and then starting next week, we'll talk about all things Oshkosh. Um, so those of you who are not Oshkosh fans, you can just plan to skip to the, up to like 202 or something like that. But, not uh, that they would do that. Yeah, but... Uh, 
but we do want to talk about it. We got so uh, uh, my point being, we've got a lot of things that uh, we want to kind of squeeze in here because we're not going to talk about uh, gener- general general aviation things for a few few weeks. So what do we got here? Um, uh, uh, the headline on this item, I think it's from David, says, uh, or let's see, no, actually, I submitted this one. FAA ponders change to LSA certification. Is this a problem? Is this bad? They're they're making it more strict or something like that. What are they doing? Who knows? Well, it- David, it 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 it, read, it reads like they're deciding to s- start ending the self certification uh, that has existed for LSAs, uh, not only in practice but in proposal, going back to the very beginning of this whole and, this and whole spiel. In a few paragraphs, what do you mean by self certification for LSAs? Well, they have, instead of the FAA coming in and saying, okay, you meet this checklist and we'll come back and check that you meet this checklist. And if we decide that you meet the checklist, we'll give you a type certificate. Uh, the LSA people know what the requirements are. They're encoded in the FARs. Uh, they decide how they're going to meet them. They meet them. They are supposed to meet them in a way that can survive a compliance audit, basically. You know, in other words, be honest, like airplane manufacturers mm-hmm. fine large tend to be. Uh, and the uh, Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association even has an audit process to help LSA uh, makers make sure they're in compliance. But basically what you do is you cross all your own T's and dot all your own I's. Right. And now FAA wants to change requirements. Yeah, it sounds like they want to change that, and I'm not really sure what the justification is beyond, you know, there's there's been some concern that the manufacturers can't always document everything the way that they would like when the FAA shows up. Have there been any incidences of LSA manufacturers fudging the the spec? If there have been, they haven't come to my attention. Uh huh. Jeb, do you hear anything? I have not. Uh, I was going to say basically the same thing. If I was going to ask the same question anyway, uh, and I'm I'm certainly not aware of any any fudging of the uh, of the rules or the requirements here. So, now later on in the story, he quotes uh, uh, Dan DJ is as uh, saying um, that um, basically there hasn't been well due to the audit they had, uh, and there was a compliance audit. Uh, Don, we talked about that several, I mean, it's, it's been maybe six or eight months ago, maybe. Um, they did this compliance audit of the manufacturers, and um, this, according to DJ, is an outgrowth of that effort. Oh. So, obviously, have, they found something. Have they published any report of that audit yet? No? I haven't I, heard about I it. I haven't heard anything. Well, you know, I think there was a press release. Again, uh, DJ put something out. Yeah. Uh, when the when the audit was concluded, and uh, uh, as I recall, the industry got a clean bill of health. Um, now that doesn't mean you know clean bill of health doesn't mean that you don't want to uh, you know cut down on your alcohol intake or or uh, get some more exercise. Uh, so in this instance, it may be that the FAA is is saying, well, you know, there's a few things we can improve. Um, but uh, um, Another line from the story, FAA officials, including Administrator Randy Babbitt, have said frequently that they have found no cause for alarm in the safety record of LSAs, but a recent assessment of the industry, recent FAA assessment of the industry, led regulators to believe that many companies are not in full compliance with the ASTM standards, according to to Johnson. Um, 
Wait, why they think that, that's that, yeah okay. That's why an they think that yeah. is, is is curious. And I would I would trace it back to the audit, but you know maybe not. Maybe some other uh, uh, information has come to light that we're not privy to. Is it just me, or does that sentence say both things? It says we've found no cause for alarm, but many companies are not in full compliance. That's well. What it says to me is. Well, they, it says they let regulators believe that many companies are not in full compliance. Right. Yeah. Uh, David, what were you going to say, David? Well, it, it, what it makes me wonder is how much of this is them finding something physical that doesn't fit the standard or meet the requirements versus them not finding paperwork to document well, that and, something and meets exactly, the standard. Exactly right where I was going to go. Yeah. This is FAA and, you is know, a bureaucracy. And Jeb, go ahead, Jeb. Yeah. FAA is a bureaucracy. F uh, bureaucrats live by their paperwork. And if there's some missing paperwork or if it's not in the uh, form specified or desired by the agency, then someone's going to have to go back to the drawing board. And that uh -huh. may be all this is. We don't know yet. Yeah. Do uh, There was a period there, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, where we were everyone was concerned about LSA's safety record, that, uh, that they were especially... Uh, traditional pilots transitioning into LSAs. Do we have any data that says that that's still a problem? That it's gotten better? That it's gotten worse? I, I'm just kind of. I'm not sure if that's even related to this, but I'm. I'm curious. Um, I'm fishing a little bit from memory, but I know that some of the insurers feel like there's evidence, and they're, and, and they're basing some of their premium judgments on this. That transitioning pilots, uh, transitioning from Heavier stuff into LSAs are, are having some right, but that's issues. that's from like a year ago. Is that is it still that case now, or is there, has there been any change? You don't. Th I don't I, think it doesn't sound I like you think, think there's, there is. There's there's been some move by the insurance carriers to insist on uh, an extra level of transition training. Yeah, uh, okay. And and actually, the the sport pilot rules are, are set up to, to kind of command that anyway. Uh, for a a, a a light sport only airplane, yeah, you're supposed to be kind of signed off in that category, and being single engine land as a private pilot doesn't automatically grandfather you into flying, say, a CT. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, uh, Jeb, final thought. Yeah. Flip side of that is, um, just use myself as an example: a Bonanza driver downgrading to a CT or or, uh, um, um, I don't know, a, a Cub uh, replica or something like that. Um, that's a whole different kind of airplane. Now, I could legally go in it, go, go, go hop in it and, and blast off somewhere. Probably not the smartest thing I would ever have There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we saw the same thing happen, guys, uh, back in the, in, in the wild and woolly days when ultralights were new. Uh, and I can quote you chapter and verse on a couple of guys whose attitude about flying toy airplanes at their level of experience uh, caused them permanent damage. It's an airplane. I can fly it. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. yeah I, you know, I got umpteen thousand hours in this and that and flew military that, and I can fly a little toy like that. I don't need some damn hippie giving me a checkout on something I know how to do better than they do. That's right. Yeah, and it's... Then, and then the guy goes out and makes himself a paraplegic and blame the airplane. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a little wing with a couple of little RC jet engines on it. I could fly that, right? Yeah. Okay. Like I said, when you asked me that, with a proper checkout. Yeah, no, I know. 
Okay. And I'm not sure how you get, do that in that thing. Yeah, know? right. I know, right. Probably um, not going to get any dual. The dual version, you know? It's like, it's like those uh, parachute things where you strap the, the you know, newbie to your chest and jump. I don't know. Maybe that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Anyways, we don't know if that anything, has anything to do with this uh, FAA changing the LSA certification or thinking about changing the certification. I don't think pilot safety has anything to do with it. I bet we're going to hear something about this at, at Oshkosh in a couple weeks. Probably so. Yeah, okay. I'm sure it's going to be one of the questions fed by many people. Might even, uh, might even into be the in the pipeline to give Babbitt. Yeah, might, might even be in the newspaper. Might even be in the newspaper. So, David, when I first saw that you put this item on the list about uh, high density altitude, I kind of thought, oh, okay, here we go, talking. You know, I mean, we've talked, we've sung this song <laughs> for a couple summers now, and you know, do we really need to talk about this again? And then I watched the video that you pointed us to. Sorry again for video, but this is a cool video. Everybody needs to look at this video because a, it's cool, and b, it's instructional. Um, how <laughs> your airplane pl- just plain does not want to fly when the density altitude is too high. And, uh, and 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 folks, when you Click on the link. To be fair, uh, should tell you right up front here. This is very much in your interest to watch if you fly, and they're not flying from very high elevation here. Uh, but you'll read it. Uh, but what you'll see on this videotape results in the termination of two human lives. Yeah, it's a very very serious thing, um, and and it's you know it's it, it's you know with all respect to the folks who lost their lives, it's fascinating video. To see this airplane mushing and trying to it, desperately to fly, it, it is so rare to see something other than a computer animation, yeah, of of, of a classic high density altitude accident. Uh, uh, but that's sure what we see here. I'm going to open this link, and I just hope that it doesn't like bog down my connection here. But let's see, because I want to. What, what was the name of this airplane? Cameron Park. That's what it is. Cameron Cameron Park, Park yeah. is a is a uh, an airport community in I believe in California. And uh, this was an airplane visiting uh, Cameron Park with three passengers on board, four. So the airplane was basically full. Um, a very, very funny coincidence. Apparently, there was a TV news crew there shooting footage um, regarding another airplane crash that had happened in the area um, just before. And, Earlier that day, yeah. yeah. And, and he was just taking what in the industry they call B-roll. He was just taking kind of, you know, cutaway footage of airplanes taking off at Cameron Park. And he happened to capture this airplane, which I believe it was a Bonanza of some sort. Am I remembering that correctly? It, 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 like it is a Bonanza. Yeah. yeah. And it uh, shows him on the takeoff roll. Everything's normal, um, except that it, it makes, it's a very long takeoff roll. Um, and then when it finally starts to lift off, it's lifting off very, very gradually uh, and then starts to mush, starts to wobble. Um, and then eventually um, uh, settles very, very hard into the terrain beyond the end of the runway um, and then flips uh, nose over and, uh, and as David said, caused uh, uh, some, death, some injuries and some deaths. Uh, and, uh, but it, it's, it's really, you know, I don't know what I thought that kind of a situation would be like, but it's, it's, it's very real that you can't fly the airplane. It doesn't want to climb for whatever reason, you know, and... Uh, um, well, if, if density altitude that day, the airport's 1,300 MSL. The density altitude worked out to a little more than 4,100 feet. Wow, that's not high at all. Uh, well, yes and no. Yeah. It, uh, you know, that you're already down to maybe 80% power, 85% power. Oh, okay. Uh High humidity will really work against your ability to generate lift because that eats into the air dense the air 
the molecule concept. Uh, and so many guys, I know they're taught better, but they kind of lose track of the whole idea of leaning on the runway mm-hmm. to match the conditions. You've mentioned this before, the whole idea that you don't wait until you're at cruise to lean. Yeah. I've had I've had people you know criticize me in my own damn airplane yeah because I was leaning on a runway that was thirteen hundred and twenty eight feet above sea level and the density altitude was forty seven hundred feet mm-hmm. and yeah. the start of the takeoff roll was uphill damn straight I leaned on the runway because I wasn't taken off from sea level I was taken off from about forty seven hundred feet above sea level yeah uh, and you could feel the difference in how the airplane pulls itself down the runway. Sure, you you can feel that when you get to the sweet spot. Yeah. Now, I I should say that we don't know for certain that density altitude was the primary contributor to this. Um, Do we know for certain that there were were fatalities? I believe believe that's what I heard and read as well, uh, Jeb. But, uh, I mean, Jeb, I take it then you haven't looked at the preliminary on this. uh, No, but I'll go get it right now. Yeah. So... uh, you know, and the news story, and of course they're notoriously hard to you know to trust. But the news story did quote a couple of uh, eyewitnesses who talked about the engine sputtering um, and uh, uh, other performance relate. You know, not not density altitude performance, but actual engine performance issues. Um, so you you never know. Maybe there was some other factor that contributed to this. Well, and there's a post here underneath the story from uh, 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 someone that apparently heard the the pilot, who was not one of the people uh, killed, or I guess he he was alive when he told it. But according to this posting, uh, the pilots told investigators he, quote-unquote, mentally performed weight and balance calculations, and the writer states that if he'd actually done the calculations, he would have known he was 95 pounds pound STC gross weight and way over the original certificated gross weight. Of it. I don't know, maybe it had an engine upgrade and something else that brought the gross weight increase. But uh, five-knot tailwind component, uh, high-density altitude, that's... that's uh, yeah, I mean, the circumstances are... Our textbook. There's no question about it. Oh but, yeah. But but there's no. You know, it'll be a while before we know for sure there weren't or other factors here. Um, you know, but it's still worth observing and watching as a cautionary. It, absolutely. It's it's going to be it's going to be difficult to conceive that those factors won't show up in some way in the in in the final report on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll put a link to the uh, YouTube video uh, in, I think it's on YouTube, but wherever the video is, we'll put a link to it uh, in the show notes. Uh, well, this was all courtesy of the Aviation Law Monitor website. Okay. Oh, that's right. I'm uh, looking at the wrong link here. Okay. This yeah. is not a recent uh, recent accident, apparently. Um, this uh, is the one in Cameron Park, California. Yeah. Uh, this occurred, according to the NTSB, this occurred on August 30, 2007. Oh, okay. A couple of years ago. So, have they done a fine? Have they gotten to final on it yet? What yeah, happened? they have. It. There are two fatals, uh, two serious injuries. Uh, probable cause of the accident is quote: the airplane's sudden encounter with a wind shift during the initial takeoff climb uh-huh. that resulted in degraded climb performance and a stall mush condition. Contributing to the accident was the airplane's over gross weight condition, 
high density altitude, the pilot's inability to compensate for the sudden wind shift and rising terrain in the departure path. Um, I wasn't going to get into it. It, it. it looked like a fairly normal um, takeoff roll. Yeah. And it looked like a good, uh, solid uh, liftoff. And um, I, was, I was kind of scratching my head. He got a good liftoff. He got above, he got out of ground effect. And maybe, you know, that's when I think the problems really kind of started. Uh, according to the NTSB brief here, um, they did a video study, I'm sure, based on the video we just talked about. Um, and it apparently had a, um, uh, looked like a GAMI uh, turbo normal system, which um, kind of over, if it's done, if it's set up correctly, basically overcomes uh, any density altitude issues. But that yeah, still, sure leaves you, still leaves you with two airfoils that are, that are afflicted by high density altitude. One is the propeller and the other is the wing. Ah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so density altitude was just one part of the whole thing. Um, so data re- uh, had a JPI EDM 800 engine, excuse me, engine analyzer, engine monitor. Data revealed consistent engine operation throughout the takeoff and climb at a power level between 91 and 94 percent. That's uh, a little. That's a head scratcher. You should it should have been getting full power from the engine. Yeah, it should have. Um, oh, don't okay. know why it is. Interesting. But, uh, okay. Anyway, that's what the NTSB has to say about this. Yeah. It's uh, don't you uh, love those digital memory banks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, check the uh, show notes for a link there. For we'll put a link both to the uh, video and to the uh, NTSB report, and you can take a look. So I found this story um, about a paraglider, a guy who wanted to fly his paraglider. Uh, <laughs> um, in, uh, what is this, Denali? I don't have the story in front of me because I, I tried Denali, to open the story. Denali National Park. In yeah. a, in I, I, listeners will note that there was the, the audio kind of garbled up a couple sec, couple minutes ago, and that's because I was trying to open this story. So apparently there's some more stuff on the page. So I, did, so I don't have it open in front of me. But uh, Denali, uh, uh, I'm sorry, say it again, State Park, uh, National Park? Denali well, National it, Park. Got it. Okay. So Denali the guy is want- a national park, and it encompasses Mount McKinley. Got it. So this guy wanted to go paragliding there, uh, and uh, and he apparently got shot down by the authorities uh, because they said paragliding off the mountain is a prohibited activity in national parks without special permission, which kind of raised a flag for me. Is that the case, David? Well, first off, let me come back to that. You read the details of why the rangers brought this guy down, and... He could have had permission and probably would have been brought down if he had exhibited the same behavior that they reported him to be uh, uh, showing. What, and what was that? Uh, well, his patient would go from very lucid, normal conversation and normal tone of voice, and two minutes later be very different, talking about dying and showing signs of uh, uh, altitude uh, sickness and... Uh, Apparently he wasn't a very good. They're they're saying he wasn't a very good steward of, of the uh, natural area, and how he uh, uh, took care of his litter and other stuff on the glacier up there. But yeah, you can't hang glide in almost in in any national park that I know of, except uh, there's a stretch of the Outer Banks south of uh, Kitty Hawk. That's uh-huh. a, a, a North Carolina state park adjacent to the uh, National Memorial for the Wright Brothers, where we could fly hang gliders. Does the same kind of rule apply? We used to fly off Half half Dome in Yosemite. 
with permission? Well, before we knew we needed permission. Oh, okay. Um, so let me put this in a different context. So if there were a nice little uh, field or whatnot in a national park, can I legally land my airplane there? Uh, I would be ready to declare an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to have a truck out. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, all right. You can land there once. Yeah, right. I, I just don't. I don't understand that. This is just doesn't seem right to me that you, that this, such an activity should be prohibited in a national park. Um, I, you know why? Why it's flying? Why should there be special rules? I, I'm naive. I'm, maybe I'm being a little facetious, but not really. Well. It, it it may or may not be uh, uh, as big a deal as you, you might be making it out to be. What's involved with getting permission? Yeah, David, how hard is it to get permission? Do you know anything about that? Well, it used to be fairly easy to get permission in Yosemite because uh, what they did for uh, quite a spell was set up some uh, uh, slots and a time of day where you could fly as many times as you wanted to during that time of day. And they would limit the number of people that could kite, you know. You had to carry your wing up the mountain trail to be able to fly off half dome. Right. So you didn't get a lot of runs in in a day. And the end of the window guaranteed that you had to be done flying before it became soarable in the valley. Uh, And then uh, somebody got hurt. Uh, then some base jumpers snuck in and, and made a couple of, uh, without permission, illegal base jumps. And things kind of unraveled, and now it's just not done. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. It's, it's kind of a bummer because there's some beautiful places that would be wonderful to step off the edge. Yeah. I mean, what I wonder is, do, do the local rangers, do the on-site rangers have the authority to give you permission, or is it more complicated than that? I would imagine that the first thing you're going to do is say, we'll have to talk to my supervisor well, about Well, yeah, that. and I understand that they're going to be unwilling to take responsibility. I just wonder and, if you and, got... And then they're going to say, well, we'll have to talk to the district office about that, yeah. which will say... Oh, well, we'll have to check with the regional office. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see now. Glider aerobatics near ICT. David, what what's going on here? Oh, it's my old buddy Aaron Martin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he just posted this. He had. I'm not sure if it was a student or a friend in the back seat or what. Uh, I've known Aaron quite a while. Uh, we belong to the same club and uh he used to hang out and get his airplane annual to dead cow and he sent this along uh, the link along in an email uh, a few days ago saying well they were out flying at this glider port east of jabara airport uh outside wichita and he was doing some uh, aerobatics and the guy in the back seat was shooting video of the whole thing so uh, you know, it's not real dramatic, flashy. It's a little bit jerky because the guy handheld the camera through about four Gs going over the top of some of these loops. Uh, but it's kind of fun because once in a while you get enough of a look at the uh, instrument panel the back seater's got to kind of get a uh, feel for the conditions. Like I'm looking at it right now, and they're just passing through 4,500 feet doing a turn back into the wind to do another loop. Mm-hmm. Four Gs? About the, the, yeah, just before you go over the top, 
Yeah. It was an interesting. I'm sorry, this is off the subject altogether. Uh, I was I've been catching up gradually on the uh, forums, and there was a story in our forums. Uh, uh, a listener related an incident where he was uh, he was basically flying with an FAA check pilot of some sort, um, and the check pilot uh, examiner, whatever it was, decided to give a really close look to the guy's logbook, and so he went back to the very early, basically went back to this guy's um, primary training. And, and which in this guy's case was like 20 years ago, but he went back that far. I was looking at the logbook and he found an entry during primary flight training that referred to four plus plus G's. We did four plus plus G's. All right. And the examiner goes, what, what's going on here? You know, and the listener had to like dig through his memory to remember why he wrote four plus plus G's during primary training in his logbook. And he thought about it for a second and he suddenly went, oh, I remember it doesn't say four plus plus G's. It says four T plus G's. All right. And uh, if you don't read it right, so it was really four touch and goes. No. <laughs> ah. Not that they were doing four G maneuvers during primary training. Um, and uh, so anyways, you did four G's in your hang gliders. That just seems like a lot to me. I don't know. Seems like a lot. Well, that's about normal for going over the top in a loop. Yeah. So still... That seems like a lot. Oh, you mean doing it in a sailplane? Yeah, in a sailplane, yeah. I mean, it just seems like a lot. Four Gs, I've never done that much. I've done, I don't think I have. Je- Jeb, when we flew, when we yeah, rode... Yeah, we didn't, we didn't do anywhere close to four Gs. Right, I don't man. know what the... I, I don't know. I didn't find the G meter, but, but four think, Gs does seem like a lot in a loop. Yeah, a couple. Uh-huh. We, you know, I, I don't know. We should ask... Uh, we should ask Tupper and all his aerobatic friends. I should. We should sure. uh, look into that. All right, anyways. Well, that's kind of cool, David. That is kind of cool. I have to take a look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, hey, listen. Um, I need a, I need a refill. So so we're going to take a quick break. Um, and and while we're gone, you guys listen to this. Here it comes. Put an A to the local paper. Episode two hundred of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, and it's live on EAA Radio Wednesday at eleven a.m. But having said that, you can be part of the studio audience during the live broadcast at the EAA Welcome Center north of the main gate and south of Aeroshell Square. So we're right where the action is. Producer Jack Hodgson, photojournalist Dave Higdon. It's all his fault. Editor Jeb Burnside and special guests including Amy Laboda. Well, thank you very much. And James Winbrandt. Well, you know, there's so much excitement here. We'll celebrate UCAP's 200th episode with a live broadcast on EAA Radio's Welcome Center program at 11 a.m. Wednesday. That'll be cool. Looking forward to it. It's hangar flying with personality. It does things that nothing else can do. The bicentennial episode of Uncontrolled Airspace. Yeah! Wow. Whoa! Wednesday at 11 a.m. on EAA Radio. Hurry up, people. We're losing the light. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene... Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Of course you knew that, right, because it's in the script. Okay, places everybody. Lights. Quiet on set. Let's get it in this take this time. Camera rolling. Audio. Speed. And marker. UCAP disclaimer. Scene 23, take four. And action.
So we're back. Let's see now. Um, episode 200 is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we're really looking forward to it on a lot of different levels. And we want to urge everybody, who uh, anybody who's going to be uh, at uh, AirVenture on Wednesday the 28th in the morning, 11 a.m. in the EA Member Center stage, please come by and visit with us. Um, there's going to be chairs. It's going to be in the shade. All right. Uh, it's going to be a sound system. Uh, unlike all the other ins, uh, 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 you know, times that we've done live episodes at Oshkosh, you'll actually be able to sit in the shade and hear us, which could be a pro, could be a con. I don't know. But uh, please do come by. We're, we're looking forward to seeing everybody there. Um, what else we got here? Let's see now. So they've changed the... I confess I'm not really up to speed on this, and I should be. Um, the whole uh, runway crossing... All, uh, um, um, clearance thing when you're taxiing. Do mm-hmm. either of you know what the story is on this? How did they change the rule? Well, they changed the rule to uh, <laughs> eliminate uh, a taxi to clearance, allowing you to cross all intersecting runways and you know, uh, well, all intersecting runways. So instead, you get a clearance to taxi to and hold short of the first runway that you have to cross to get to your intended runway, and then. You get another clearance to taxi to and hold short of the, the next runway that you have to cross, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if, there, if, of course, there are no runways you have to cross to get to your departure runway, then it doesn't impact you. And this is obviously just at, control, at tower-controlled fields. Oh, yeah. 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 Actually, and uh, this kind of came about because of runway incursion numbers that... Uh, represented people starting to cross, some of them starting where they started to cross for runway that they didn't have the full clearance to cross so, yet. I guess I, I was under the impression that runway incursion incidents had gotten better recently. They yeah. have. So they this, have. Is, this is one particular example of incursions that hasn't gotten better? Is that what's going on here? It seemed like one that they felt like a rule change could help. Yeah. And then they issued a list of exceptions, which makes me fall back into the uh, whiskey tango tango foxtrot. Yeah, right. So without having you enumerate all the exceptions, is there some theme to them? Is there some, you know, or is it literally a whole bunch of special cases? Uh, There. They're basically airports where the runway separations on some of the taxiways are less than a thousand feet. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a close enough proximity, and the, the airports are sighted such. I'm, I was told by this by a friend of mine out in, inside the Beltway that part of it was how comprehensive the view of tower is of the crossing runways that are involved. Uh huh. When you start to get to great big airports where they can be, you know, three, four, five thousand feet between runways, uh, that it's just an automatic uh, because so much can happen in the time it takes for the airplane to cross one runway and then taxi three thousand feet to the other. Uh, mistakes are made along the way. Well, and seeing some of the distances, I'm talking airports particularly like. DFW and and and, and, and uh, Atlanta and places where you're talking about a huge piece of real estate and maybe a little perspective problem from time to time. Uh, so the exceptions are basically all small airports, like Midway, Chicago Midway. Well, Chicago O'Hare is on this list too. 
So is Lambert St. Louis. Yeah, there are some runways at O'Hare that are less than a thousand feet apart. Yeah. Um, um, let's see, what else comes to mind here? Uh, Detroit Metro, um, <clears throat> SeaTac, um, San Francisco International. That's you know uh, a problem child. Um, McCar- Las Vegas McCarran. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wonder if it's you know a combination of the uh, geography, as well as a combination as well as a factor of maybe the traffic it's getting or, or the. the I, think you're right. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Now, How much of this is you know controller uh, driven? I don't know. David, is this related? You've called our attention to an AOPA online seminar on runway crossing risks. Is this is it just coincidental that this is on the list as well, or is this is this related? Um, where, where AOPA and Air Safety Foundation are concerned, I consider very little coincidental. <laughs> so, what's what do you know about this seminar? Is this uh, what's it all about? Well, it's uh, the Air Safety Foundation offering some free information to the flying, you know, the pilot public. Uh, it's going to talk about some of the, the, the silly little things that pilots do that creates dangerous runway situations when it shouldn't, uh, how to avoid those, and basically bring us up to date with the uh, the, the changed rules on runway crossings. I mean, we, got, we got instructed to taxi into a queue going to a runway where just crossing the runway as we were instructed – Put us in a jet blast that almost blew us over. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I mean, the controller, I am sure, never considered that issue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he thought he was expediting us across a runway so we could get in the in the queue to get out. And uh, by us having to be across the whole short line, we could not not be in the jet blast. And I was there by the time I realized that this is not going to be a good place when that 3-7 in front of us decides to move. Yeah. It moved, and we moved. Right. The, uh, the AOPA online seminar, uh, so-called webinar, uh, is called Conflicts at the Crossroads, Avoiding Runway Incursions. And the blurb that they write on their website says, Join AOPA's Air Safety Foundation President Bruce Landsberg and a panel of runway safety experts as they discuss the hazard of runway incursions and how to avoid them. Improve your piloting skills as you learn to recognize and avoid conflicts at the crossroad. It's July 22nd. Apparently it's a live on online thing um, that you can listen and perhaps uh, participate in. I would, I would hope that this is also available for replay later on. And, uh, um, there's a lot of good stuff are. here, by the way. A lot of good stuff here. This is not the only seminar that they've got on their website. So people should take a look. It's at aopa.org slash ASF slash webinars. ASF as in, um, as in Air Safety Foundation and webinars as in web seminars. But you'll figure it out. What's next here? Let's see. Uh, you mean webinars don't have something to do with Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course they do. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Oh, man, you know, we just really need to turn this into a video podcast. That's all there is to it because there's just too many <laughs> cool videos out there that for us to ignore them. I know we talked about this for a while, but here's another great video. People got to take a look at this because this is just sexy, all right? Uh, it's a test flight of a restored Eastern Airlines DC-7B. Um, 
at uh, Opelika, Florida, and uh, it's just a cool video. Um, uh, this airplane is just sexy. I like it. Uh, what do you guys think? You like it? You, have you oh, looked yeah. at it? I love these old airliners. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And it looks like they've got it in nice shape. Um, it uh, I, it's not clear to me whether this is like the first flight or an early flight or something like that. But uh, no, that was the first flight since it came out of restoration. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, they had a couple of cool angles. They had a camera in the cockpit, not so much looking out the window, just kind of looking down on the uh, crew on the flight deck. And they had uh, three people controlling the controls: two at the uh, at the two yokes, and one person in the center, probably controlling power and maybe other things as well. Um, and just kind of watching them. And they, yeah, it was a really interesting video. Flight Did, engineer wins the throttles. And yeah, uh, is that, is that routine for this kind of an airplane or was that because of the test nature of it? Once upon a, a time, bit. hang on, Jeb, go first. I, I was going to say it's probably, it, it's probably routine for that airplane. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a DC seven expert by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but Did, uh, it's my understanding that uh, on, on many of these older uh, piston engine airliners, uh, flight engineer for takeoffs uh, control the throttle. Yeah. Uh, David, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. Once upon a time, airliners like this had a pilot, a co-pilot, a flight engineer, uh, and usually a radio man navigator if it was doing, you know, like transcontinental or transoceanic. Uh, the flight engineer's post uh, was right behind the co-pilot, first officers, uh, usually faced to the right. That's where all the engine gauges were, uh, pressurization, hydraulic gauges, and all that stuff, because you couldn't have put them all in the panel if you wanted to in those days. And one of the flight engineer's jobs on takeoff and landing was monitoring and managing the power on those four big double-row radial so yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Now, this was this. Some of these airplanes also had an early version of a GPS, right? They had like a, a bubble dome uh, thing over the top <laughs> of the flight deck, and one of the flight crew would would kind of get up into this dome with a sextant and would shoot the stars. Right? Am I right about this? Is it, you were right you know, about that. You know, and uh, and they would then uh, do the math and figure out where they were. It's GPS. There you go. Right there. Celestial navigation. That, yeah, you talk about that as if it's you know you never heard of it before. Yeah, well, I know. Well, yeah, but that, why? You, you, is that a backup instrument you have in your airplane in the Debbie? Well, no, it's not. I don't know how to use a sextant, but I'd certainly like to learn. Yeah, it would be fun, it, huh? yeah. Um, I've always um, wanted. There to wasn't any. Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't any other way to navigate long distances over over inhospitable terrain. Yeah, terrain without nav aids, things like that. And, um, uh, you know, up until, gosh, I guess around the 60s, um, the FAA, uh, for certain flights, required navigators, on uh, certificated navigators. And they, they, I guess it was sometime in the 60s also, they, they stopped giving the navigator rating. Yeah. Yeah. Truly a question. What was the biggest problem that had to be solved for celestial navigation to be successful? Oh, oh ever? An, an uh, accurate timepiece. Yeah, an accurate timepiece. Longitude. Bingo. Yeah. Um, and, of course, uh, Amelia Earhart had a certified navigator, and we know how well that worked out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I opened a story once recently with, you know, aviation has a lot of ifs. Um, you know, what if, what if Lindbergh had made it to Paris the first try? What if Fred Noonan had been a better navigator? Yeah. You know? <laughs> 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 but... Uh, I know. Well, you, you know, 
we're supposed to see all these uh, uh, DC-3 slash C-47s for the 75th anniversary uh, at Air Venture this year. Uh, I'd be damn surprised if, if you know, a handful of them didn't show up with that dome oh, right sure. behind the flight deck. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool to, to to climb in there and stick your head up there to see what it felt like and see what it looked like. That'd be neat. We should we should do that. You know, it's it's you know, I watched um, um, the the movie version of uh, Ernie Gans High and Mighty, mm-hmm. uh, John Wayne and, and Robert Stack. Um, and you know, obviously, just a great movie and, and and really the precursor of a lot of the the disaster movies that we see uh, so often these days. But um, during the during the flight, the the guy gets up and gets a section out and gets up in the in the dome and, and takes a shot. Yeah, uh, Jeb, you and I are going to have to see if we can convince the uh, the Air Venture Today managing editor to give us this assignment. You think? I don't know which assignment to, to check out navigation or you know the, the uh, to do these kind of cool stories. That's what we need to do. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to have a talk with the managing editor of the. Uh, well, we'll have to have a chat with him. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Maybe towards the end of the week we'll have some time. <laughs> uh, good luck if you can manage that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, good luck if you can edit that. Yeah. Right. All right. Here we go. Um, uh, okay, so speaking of uh, of large uh, uh, flight deck crews here, so what's the story? Fifi didn't get to fly, or Fifi didn't get their certificate, or David, what's going on here? We've been we've been this has been a weekly thing for us for like a month and a half now, doing updates. Yeah, on and Fifi's and status. It, it's been quiet. It's been quiet the rest of the week. Um, when the FAA, you know, gave its stamp of approval to Fifi, the the only flyable. B-29 left in existence, belongs to the Commemorative Air Force down Texas. She's been through years of restoration, restored engines, they're hybrids, got all these special conditions. The FAA uh, limited as essential uh, the crew to four four people. Uh, I've flown on Fifi. Uh, Fifi always had six people. Because they had two people watching for traffic and watching the engines for problems, because you can't see the bloody engines from the flight deck. Let, let me be the first to call blowing snow on the FIA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this is this is enough. We've had enough of this nonsense. Guys, get off the dime. Approve the airplane. It's it's CAF. It's a it's a known quantity. It's a known entity. Um, just, just get on with it. Stop They've done this on. before. Stop it. Stop it. Get it over with. Let them fly the airplane. Yeah, this is. You know, you guys can decide whose is bigger after yeah. the bloody airplane flies. That's right. And and you know, go go with them. Okay. It might be fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. That wouldn't be good for them. What a concept, huh? What a concept. What a concept. Okay. So we've got uh, we have apparently have an update on this uh, this uh, takeoff accident where the, uh, the what is it Continental Airline seven thirty seven uh, veered off the runway during takeoff and uh, um, I, I'm 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 so timid about opening links today because of my my um, hotel Wi-Fi connection here but let's give it a try uh, Jeb you're you're the Same. aviation safety Live guy Lark. yeah. That's right. Jeb, you're the aviation safety guy. Are you up to speed on this whole thing? What's going on here? Yes and no. I remember what happened when it happened. I, I haven't this week followed the uh, NTSB's meeting in, in determination of probable cause. But uh, basically, this was a Continental Airlines 737. 
uh, attempting to depart uh, Denver International. This was on uh, uh, Saturday, December 20 of uh, 2008 was the uh, the accident date. And um, rolling down a runway, getting close to rotation speed, and a wind gust uh, hit the airplane. Um, I think it's safe to say that the wind gust exceeded the uh, aircraft's capabilities. Um, according to the, the, uh, the uh, what is it, Denver Chronicle? Some, some sort of chronicle. Yes, it says it's an AP story anyway. According to the AP story, um, um, about four seconds, well, st- the, the, the pilot stopped using the Boeing 737's right rudder about four seconds before a 52-mile-per-hour gust hit the plane's tail. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. I think that's, I think that's all, mainstream no, media. There is no it. left or right rudder on a 737. Um, uh, having, you know, putting that aside, I, mean, I, I take that to me maybe he transitioned from... Uh, the tiller to to the rudder pedals, and then had had uh, uh, decided to uh, uh, accept the, the the takeoff at that point. Maybe they were past V one. I don't know. Um, the wind uh, caused the airplane to quote weather vane unquote right. turn until its nose is pointed into the wind. Well, now read the, read this next paragraph because this is the one that sounds like a quote from the NTSB. Contributing to the accident was the failure by the air traffic control system to provide the pilots with key wind information. And the airline industry's failure, the industry's failure, to incorporate high wind gusts into pilot training for takeoff in crosswind conditions, the board said. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of question whether or not gusts uh, are, are not incorpor- whether gusts are not incorporated into uh, um, um, transport category uh, pilot training. I, I kind of tend to think they are because you get microbursts, you get all kinds of gusts thrown at pilots. Um, putting all that aside, however, uh, clearly it was a bad a bad wind at the wrong time. Yeah, and the uh, the crew lost control of the airplane. They ran off the side of the runway, and they they got it stopped. Uh, loss of the hull. No one was killed. Six people were seriously injured. Dozens more were treated for minor injuries. So, according uh, to this story, it seems like they've ruled out all kinds of man- mechanical failure. This boil boils down to to bad luck and bad piloting. Which gets us, you know, very close to um, getting back into the old 737 uh, um, um, rudder hard over issue. And, and one of the, I hate to say it, but I have to give credit where credit is due. One of the best lines I've, I've heard in a, in a long, long time, which came from our dear friend here, Mr. Higdon. Yeah. Okay. What did he this, say? This had to do with uh, um, Dave and I were both uh, working for Avweb back in the bad old days in the late nineties, and and uh, um, I was editing his stuff, and um, he starts off a, a story. I, I, I don't even remember what the uh, story was about. It's just, you know, all right. The FAA I, had backed off a regulatory proposal. Yeah. Uh, time for a quick quiz. What do the seven thirty seven and the FAA have in common? And the answer, of course, is both roll over for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, was, right. this was, you know, in the throes of, this was in the days when there had been a couple of rudder hard over instant incidents, I should say, in, uh, involving 737s. And uh, uh, one of, at least one of them resulted in, in fatalities. Uh, a couple more resulted in uh, uh, a couple of oh my God moments for the crews and, and the passengers. Um, but... Um, the, the good news, if there is good news, and of course, you know, 110 passengers and five crew members survived this, so that's good news. But the, the other piece of good news is this was apparently not 
a rudder hard over instant uh, involving a 737. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it, uh, to me, it sounds more like bad timing and bad luck uh, in in that order, and if bad pilotage was in play here. Uh, it was the the factor that closed the loop, as if opposed not, to the one that started the loop. If God had meant for man to fly, he would have been given more money. <laughs> That's my problem. Yeah. Shout outs. Let's see now. Uh, let's, uh, uh, David, tell us about this. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to make this a shout out, but I'm going to make it a shout out. David, tell us about this cool shot, 360 degree virtual view of the uh, P-51 Mustang. Well, a buddy of mine, uh, uh, Larry Grace, really, really excellent photographer uh, who uh, generally shoots at, uh, at Oshkosh. We know one another through the uh, International Society of Aviation Photographers, ISAP. Yeah, go ahead and say it, ISAP. Uh, Larry sent me this link. Uh, somebody took a, a, a 360 VR virtual reality image. Basically, what it is is a series of hand shots that are done so well, and the software stitches right. the images together so you can pan in a complete 360-degree circle as well as 180 degrees up and 180 degrees down. Right. We know this guy. This is, uh, this is Pat St. Clair. Um, he's a buddy of Phil Weston's, um, and I, right. know, I know I've That's met right. him at That's Oshkosh. That's the guy. I believe we've all met him. I believe he came, he, when we were visiting Phil's studio a couple of times. I think Pat was there, but I'm sure. Well, and he was in he was in the newspaper office a couple of years yeah. ago when Phil and I were both still shooting. And and Pat has been one of the real uh, real uh, uh, you know groundbreakers um, on uh, on the whole subject of doing these uh, virtual reality they call them uh, 360 degree shots uh, in in the aviation field. He's done a lot of these, and uh, and this is just a great example of of how good he's gotten at it and. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes. It's kind of complicated to find it, although you can go to stclairphoto-imaging.com. Sorry about that. St. Clair, like S-T-C-L-A-I-R, stclairphoto-imaging.com. And then from there, you can probably find a bunch of his pictures, uh, including this P-51 Mustang one. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the link, the link will take you right to it. And give it a few seconds to load. Yeah. Because even on a fast connection... It loads the bl- there's a black and white under image, and it loads that first, and then it ke- builds in the color progressively around the 360. Yeah, there's a little control bar there. It's really fascinating. I've never seen so much detail in a Mustang cockpit before. It is very cool. Very cool. Um, um, my shout out is uh, in my continuing uh, effort to uh, to uh, bring attention to FBOs uh, that are uh, offering LSAs for rent. Uh, one listener has called our attention to the, uh, in my neck of the woods, the Beverly Flight Center at Beverly, Mass. Uh, Bravo Victor Yankee um, has uh, added Piper Sport to their line. And uh, according to the rep- listener's report, you'll be able to rent a, a Piper Sport for $99 wet. Um, and uh, that'd be pretty cool. I may go down there and check that out. Um, their website is beverlyflightcenter.com. And uh, it's a cool airplane. Air, it's a cool FBO. I've flown out of there back when I was living in California. That's the. Uh, the FBO where I'd rent from uh, when I came back here to go flying, and uh, it's a, a fun little airport out near the uh, uh, the uh, edge of the ocean and uh, or the edge of the continent near the ocean, and uh, uh, a good place to fly out of, and and yet another reason to go flying out of out of Beverly Airport. That's my shout out. What do you guys got? Great. Any others? 
Oh, it's, it's not an aviation related, but I'd like to go back to Dave Schaubert for a minute. Uh, he he uh, dropped a few things and, and came over to help me with some projects, and uh, we've been having a good time and, and uh, uh, building walls and, and uh, putting in windows and hanging doors and, and putting in uh, lighting cans and, and things like that. And, and uh, I just want to th- publicly thank him for all his help. And uh, I'll go into some of the details on, on why all this is necessary at a late, in a later date. Okay. But, uh, cool. Uh, yeah. David, anything else? Yeah, I got one real quick one, and I'm going to be quick and dirty. Folks, follow the link to the Ground Angels, the Houston Ground Angels. A young lady named Kathy Broussard, who was a volunteer pilot flying uh, patients from different points in Texas back to Houston for treatment. Uh, a few years ago, one of her regulars on this in this volunteer work called to cancel the flight because she didn't have the $50 cab fare to get from the airport to the medical center where she needed cancer treatment. So this lady, Kathy Broussard, who's already volunteering her Cherokee to fly patients, uh, started uh, Houston Ground Angels. It's a volunteer group that picks up these patients at the airports, whatever airports around Houston, and drives them to the treatment centers for free. So we're linking, you know, GA in the good of society and GA people carrying that over on the ground side, too. If you got a few bucks to kick to the Houston Ground Angels, uh, you, you know, kick in what you'd spend for one beer at Oshkosh, uh, they could use it. That Very cool, and, you know, love being able to point out the good that they're doing. That's my you, shout. You actually, you actually pay for beer at Oshkosh? <laughs> Yeah, because some people do. He doesn't pay for many because I owe you guys so many beers. Anyways, oh, I, I'm figuring on dro- I'm figuring on drinking free at least the first eight of the twelve days. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside uh, is an aviation journalist, also currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? jeburnside.com, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. I'll pop up on that web occasionally, as well as aea.net. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, AEA.net, that aviation safety thing that Jeb was talking about, uh, davehigdon.biz, uh, eaa.org. Uh, look for us on uh, airventure.org and the Airventure Today link starting uh, in about a week. Yeah, that's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to the many other listeners who created our show opening disclaimer clips. Um, Double thanks to Mike Morgan because he also is the one who created that uh, UCAP 200 uh, promo piece that you heard earlier in the episode. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? 
You know, all that time you spend flying, gosh, gosh, will make you live longer because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. See ya. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFO fans.